my hashtag problematic trait, I cannot fucking stand people cycling. Maybe they shouldn't put the bikes in the road. That's all I'm kind of saying. Can we talk about how badly Peter fucked up my face in the last <laughs> It was like a weird picture of you. Usually it was, it was uh, Uncanny Valley. The footage from that episode was a little blurry and it didn't lend itself to making thumbnails. So I, I upscaled it and it turned out a little Uncanny Valley. Usually Peter will say like, hey, look, look at the thumbnail I did before it goes up and, and it's usually of course awesome like peter's great at making thumbnails whatever so like it i really did not care <laughs> and i i had a long like this huge long neuropsych eval so i could not look at my phone from like 8 a.m to 8 p.m <laughs> and peter just launched it and this fucking fugly picture <laughs> of me <laughs> but not of me it was it was and, you as the Lioness 90s teacher. Yeah, it was disseminated and it ended up being our best launch. Yeah, yeah. It's that episode is now our best launch day. Oh shit. <laughs> That's that the one you're famous for now. Ugly. Yeah. yeah. I don't say I one don't of say my ugly, eyes is black and one of my eyes is blue. <laughs> there are a lot of people that consider that exotic. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, if it makes you feel any better, when I had, like, my feud with Jules Taylor the other day, he, like, posted a, a picture of a screenshot of me at Radio Kingston. And mm -hmm. it's just, like, the ugliest fucking picture of me. <laughs> <laughs> they always take pictures of their guests and the light. They had this, like, terrible lighting that was, like, of course. <laughs> drops down on your face so that every shadow <laughs> on your face, like, shows up. Just, like, the ugliest fucking picture. And I'm wearing this shirt that's, like, fuck Trump or something like that which I <laughs> for free at like a DSA meeting once I like I didn't even care what was on the shirt I was just like oh it's a free shirt yeah you get a free fucking shirt yeah. now, it, I just look like this ultra like uh, like fuck Trump <laughs> who's who's like being held hostage in a basement yeah <laughs> we've got Fox <laughs> and we'll release him if you all commit to vote for Biden yeah and Jules tried to like own me by showing us private screenshot of me inviting him to my house and being like really nice i saw yeah. that and i was like what the f oh wow you got fox there you got I me i know i'm, I'm, I'm nice person. and i like having people in my life <laughs> i'm actually not an asshole yeah <laughs> i mean luckily like people gave jules like one like for all that stuff he got very few likes but every time he goes viral he always like drops the link to his podcast under <laughs> mm -hmm. so he's like so thirsty What's funny is that he goes viral and like his podcast doesn't get any bigger. I know. <laughs> and here we are thriving, even with an ugly face to the name. <laughs> I at first asked Peter to change it. And then I, I was brought, like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll change I it. I brought it up a second time. No, no. You brought it up about 34 more times. Well, the second time you said, I'm not changing it. <laughs> Well, I guess we're at a tighten your buttholes. It's time for a packed moment. <laughs> I'm the P, Peter Coffin. The lovely Miss Astronaut Cowboy Doctor right here is the ACD. Together we're packed. Uh, don't miss an episode. Like, comment, subscribe. Leave us a glowing review on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever weird thing you use. We are a five-star podcast. Fox, can you bang on the... Bang! Bang! <laughs> I'm a five star man. <laughs> Join our Discord. Once we do we that. That could have been better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Join our Discord. We hang out there all the time. We chat. We do some other fun stuff that you can access by becoming a patron, like exclusive content. Me, uh, me and my comfy. I actually, that's available to the public, though. That's not a that's not a patron perk. Uh, anyway, true. so help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at Patreon.com/slash PaxPod. We have got fantastic packed merch available too at our website, packedpod.com. Uh, finally, tell your friends we rely so big on word of mouth. Uh, we stream 7 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Fox and Alex of Space Commune with us today. So we single-handedly defeated degrowth last year. Mm -hmm. But you never actually kill degrowth. Uh, because it can continue to get smaller and smaller and still exist. That's kind of the point. We did defeat degrowth 
last year in a battle, but that is not the war. Um, you see, <laughs> so dramatic. As it turns out, a new challenger has arrived, <laughs> and he's in pog form now. Pog form. <laughs> I just read a New York Times like review of it. I mean, it's going to be a big thing. Is it? Um, Is it? It's exciting. It didn't yeah. seem like. All right. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, I swear to God. I mean, it's... so I get to say Uno Boomer for Uno like Boomer. Three years. <laughs> Peter, you have like a fetish for mispronouncing words, don't you? I do. Yeah. Yeah. One time, Peter spelled Unibomber wrong. I spelled it with an I. Unibomber. 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 Unibrower. It's like it's an article of clothing or something. The post left got very angry at me. They acted like because I misspelled uh, Unabomber that I didn't know anything. Uh, So I started misspelling it much more wrong on purpose. (laughs) I like that. Uno Boomer. That's like their God. They love Ted. I know. They absolutely fucking love that guy. What the fuck is that? Why? There's a new film to explain such things to us. Let's uh, let's watch the trailer. The Industrial Revolution has been a disaster for the human race. Oil poured into the south at the rate of 20,000 gallons an hour. The Montana Electric Company sprays cancer-causing herbicides without any warnings to the public. I cried about what was happening to the country. Desecration. But I have a plan for revenge. People say violence and the taking of human life is not a way to resolve problems. Can't work. But history shows that it very often does work. I want to kill some people. We have breaking news. It's been more than five days since the Unabomber threatened to blow up an airliner flying in or out of Los Angeles. God damn it, fucking cocksucker man! My motive? I want to change the world. What was that? That's that was the post left. That's what they look like in real life. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the trailer for an Uno Boomer biopic. Yeah. It's walk the line for the Uno Boomer. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently he's uh, on his like last legs right now. He's still in prison. He's dying of cancer. It's a shame that the technology exists to preserve him. (laughs) <laughs> so they're yeah, they're right? capitalizing on this weird uno boomer fan base connect that to degrowth for me well ted ted k uh his whole deal is like the libertarian version of of degrowth his manifesto he got printed in the washington post um because he promised to stop killing people if they printed <laughs> his manifesto in 1995 that, that's like apparently that's the big climax of the movie is that you know that's the only time he smiles Spoilers. when they, when they <laughs> When they um, print his manifesto, but it's this uh, this critique of modernity in all its forms, and this violent manifestation of you know the environmental movement of the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. He he became someone who like took it all to the extreme, and this movie is both like a you know they they paint him as an incel in the movie, and that's why he got violent. But also they say well. He's one of the few people that actually did something. And now in 2022, you know, everything's so bad with technology and uh, it's the reason why everything's bad. And so he was kind of right. So what you're saying is that this movie is what they were saying the Joker was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is kind of Jokerified. I think yes. there's I don't know if it's confirmed whether or not he was actually uh, tested. He was like an MK Ultra test subject or something like, oh. you know, CIA. That's what test, they like, say. Yeah. Yeah, so he like he's a brilliant guy who who went uh-huh. to Harvard and shit. He's like a beautiful mind kind of guy. It almost seems like in reading the reviews of this, I haven't watched it yet, but um, it sounds like the movie is like most critical of him when he's being disrespectful to women. <laughs> 
not the mailing bombs to people part. So it's not the Joker. <laughs> yeah. They they make space for his uh, white male rage. Yeah. But oh they don't God. center it as. <laughs> <laughs> they make space for it, but they don't center it. You guys are laughing, but I think I'm like accurately describing how. Like, uh, <laughs> probably true. <laughs> I think that's actually what they wanted. It's, he's like a hero to these people because he's like the ultimate anarcho-primitivist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a hero to post-left degrowthers. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he's popular okay. with... Especially the post-left, like yeah. homesteading, All cottage core. Yeah. There's yeah. some like just regular leftists who like him too. But I, I think that his whole terrorism aspect kind of... <laughs> Is a detractor the for them, whereas yeah. the- well, they don't call him a Nazi. I haven't seen anybody call him a Nazi yeah, on right? Twitter. No, he's just a terrorist. Yeah, just a terrorist. Yeah, <laughs> nothing to see here. Just a measly terrorist. He just kills people. He's not like a Nazi. Regular, regular <laughs> he's not like mean about your race or your. Yeah, he just kills people. Like that's all. It just kills people because people are bad. Yeah, and and certainly like we're kidding. We say a lot that like there there's all these people. This is what this movement is of uh, people that are Ted pilled. It's this movie, this mm-hmm. movement of people that are um, trading in their finance job or like graduating from a high end university, changing her name from Kitty to Karen, and not going to the city. They go. They they're able to buy a homestead out in mm-hmm. the country. And they get a few chickens and they get a few goats and um, they like make, they start a candle business or something. They bike to the farmer's market. They, they <laughs> bite, yeah, they, they bike or they have a horse and they, <laughs> they think that I would love it if they had a horse. We're talking about some different people, but, <laughs> but they believe that, that what they're doing is some kind of uh, counterbalance or antidote to all the, the things that are going wrong in the world. And that like, if enough people do this, if enough people, um, you know, destroy their, their lawn and start growing tomatoes and potatoes. Um, <laughs> if like 10% of the population does that, then we won't need any industrial farming. Um, it's all this, like this kind of utopian individualistic stuff. And Ted Kaczynski was a terrorist. And that's why, like, you know, I'm glad people aren't like continuing to do that, but it's led to this, this movement that is kind of like reaching ahead right now. And that's why this movie is coming out at like a very, Interesting time. Well, one of the things that I see people say when they're talking about him is, um, you know, at least he did something. Like, it may not have been the right thing, but he did do something, you know? The Azov Battalion also did something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I heard an interview with the director, and that's that's basically what he said. He was like, well, there's so much, you know, the state does so much violence, and that's all normal and okay, but why is it bad when you know, an individual decides to do it for his own reasons. Like, well, well, because it kills people (laughs) and their response would be, maybe there's too many people anyway. Like maybe we could use a few less people. (laughs) Here's what uh, the actor said. So the actor that's playing him is the guy from uh, uh, district nine, like the South African actor. Mm. So he's talking about how he got the script. And he's like, I read the manifesto and I thought that this is totally not what I was expecting. This wasn't some random guy who was just randomly killing people. This is a staggeringly smart human being. He's fighting for the planet, for animals, and for the future of the human race. It seems at least as valid as killing someone for your family or for gold or for religion or whatever else. In the spectrum of why humans commit violence, if there's such a thing as honorable types of violence, I'm not sure there are, I don't see this as less honorable than other forms. So you can see like where this is going. You know, it's... yeah a certain group of people is going to take this very differently from other people. Yeah. Right. So you, you said this is coming out at a very interesting time. Tell us kind of what you mean by that and how degrowth advocacy has developed and changed and where it is now. No, I mean, it's kind of multi-pronged, but like there's a back to the land movement that believe that all of society's problems are because, you know, we know too many people we have, access to too much stuff on our phone and like we're all addicted to technology um, and that like we have too much refrigeration and heating and creature comforts, uh, anti-leftist uh, mindset of people. And then there's another prong of it too, which is the, the more like leftist progressive, you know, Soros type of degrowth 
which is about that we need to, to consume less fossil fuels and consume less energy in order to break the yoke of countries like China and Russia, which, you know, this, that wing sees as antithetical to like open societies and, you know, the West. Mm -hmm. Right. And and so there's also this very powerful anti-communism that. Uh, Yeah. Very. Well, certainly anti-Marxist because Marxist Marxism is a school of thought that promotes abundance. And they can say in this fucking article that it's radical abundance all they want, but they're just gaslighting sock dems by by saying that, oh, degrowth means wealth distribution. Yeah, there's an article that we were linked in an argument on Twitter over degrowth called Degrowth, the Theory of Radical Abundance, which was published in the Real World Economics Review. Um, ACD can talk about that in a moment. I'm I'm curious to hear what what mental gymnastics they do to say that it's a theory of abundance. It's centered on the Lauderdale paradox. Yeah, which is fun. The Lauderdale paradox holds that an increase in quote private riches uh, is achieved by choking off the quote public wealth, which I I don't think is a false statement. But Hickel talks about how growth is always dependent on enclosure, which enclosure is actually an interesting thing to study. It's basically the privatization of the commons. But like, again, it's not. He doesn't do any work at all during the course of this paper to actually meaningfully link these things. Like he says, um, enclosure, as Hickel uses it, is a, a feudal dynamic. And to move forward, we have to leave enclosure behind. But like, I I don't understand how that stops growth at all. He puts forward these progressive ideals that most leftist people would just subscribe to, uh, like decommodifying housing, um, making public goods more affordable, uh, optimizing access to health care, education, utilities, recreation facilities, transportation, all Mm -hmm. these sorts of things. And without detailing connections between these things, says that providing access to those things necessitates degrowing of energy demand. The logic is that like capping price for these social goods, for example, which, you know, are things that well-meaning left-leaning people obviously support, uh, reducing the cost of those things eases pressure for unnecessary consumption. That is his logic. And like an example here he uses is housing. He says, if housing costs less, then um, I'll I'll actually say that. Like the fictionally high housing prices in London, because he he articulated an imaginary example to demonstrate what he was talking about. Um, ultimately compel everyone to contribute unnecessarily to the juggernaut of ever-expanding production and consumption with all the corresponding ecological consequences that entails. I mean, I'm not going to say that, like, the housing market is unconnected to, like, the supply chain and consumption, but, like, he argues that lowering housing prices or making housing accessible to people or affordable or whatever his plan is um, somehow is going to decrease demand for energy consumption, which that's silly. Right. In the final analysis of their tenuous, highly tenuous connections between these things, they're either asserting that demand drives supply. Yeah. And or that growth necessitates more people, which means more demand, which means we should be encouraging things that stifle population. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very strange. It's all over the place. They it's certainly so don't connect how economic growth drives energy demand other than implying that demand drives supply and or growth is this, more people. I, I just, I feel like whether it's intentional or not, I don't know. I feel like there's some pretty cynical shit in here and I, I, I think that it might be intentional. I think if we talk about the negative space of that statement, we are talking about population. Yeah. And the premise too is just, it's whether it's like, oh, we want to just slightly, you know, keep, maintain a status quo and redistribute in the global North and grow in the the global South, whatever, whatever the 
you know, details they want to like put out there, which are completely utopian. There's no. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, this whole it's all something that's going to be imposed on the population. Exactly. But the logic behind it is rooted in the idea that X number of people require Y amount of emissions. And there's no way around it. And there's no there's no point in trying to find a technological uh, solution or changing how we make energy. Well, there's two things. A, uh, exactly about the energy thing. They say, he says in this paper that um, they have to reduce demand in order to move to 100% renewables, yes. which by the way, they say 100% renewables in this paper. They do, but then there's also this like strange line where they say like, oh, looking at projected decarbonization rates with these policies, even under the most aggressive abatement policies such as high subsidies for renewables and nuclear power like so they it it seems like he's amenable to nuclear power but i'm not sure i feel like he's saying that specifically to say that like even if you implemented nuclear power right we have to decrease demand even nuclear power can't help Uh, yeah but the other thing is this paper is so against any kind of development in carbon capturing yeah beck's yeah, he he like labels it speculative. He's like, there's no chance it's ever going to be anything. We have to plan as if it's never going to happen. So many scientists say that it won't work. So many, many people are saying these. He literally does. Many people are saying Vex won't work. So we have to degrow through a restructure, an entire restructuring of the economy where growth is unnecessary through policy changes. Yeah, it's just it's policy changes. And like you said, Alex, this is the real key thing. It doesn't address any relations like in order to do any of this stuff. Like you said, it requires them to be able to enforce it. They we cannot change any actual economic relationships. We have to maintain them so that the ruling class has the ability to impose policy. And then somehow through policy in which we've changed no relationships, we fundamentally change the economy away from growth and to degrowth. Which is like a lose, lose, lose for the exactly, class. Exactly. You you maintain capitalism at the stage that it is at right now, which is imperial stage capitalism. And the one um, good thing about capitalism, which was that you got stuff, is that you don't yeah, get that, that anymore. It's yeah. that's done. You're gonna you're not gonna own anything and you're gonna love it. Which was a necessary condition from a Marxist perspective to be able to have a socialist and communist society. Well, yeah. And the other thing is the socialization of production is like the big fucking incredible accomplishment of capitalism. But these people view that as like a problem, like this socialization of production, this accomplishment, frankly, um, is symbolic of a creation of more stuff to consume and therefore a higher GDP. And I, I I think that the GDP framing is very tenuous. I think that yes. I don't think that any, especially in this paper, I've seen previously, I've found it to be very questionable, but especially in this paper, uh, like the housing example that Hickel puts forward basically debunks that GDP is like a driver of this because they say that you should cap the price, the price of housing and all that's going to do is reduce the value of the housing market. That doesn't actually do any other thing, but that does bring the GDP down. So like from a metric point of view, they could degrow, uh, but it doesn't do anything. Yeah, mater- from like the way we operationalize growth, it changes, but it doesn't change the actual throughput. And in <laughs> fact, increases it because more people are able to consume. Yeah, more, more people will be able to buy houses, more people who we buy houses will be able to buy stuff for the houses. Yeah, it, it makes no sense. Well, GDP can be hidden so much in the fire economy, which is finance, insurance, and real estate, mm. which don't refer to building things that uh, make people's lives better, like building infrastructure. You know, mm-hmm. the fire economy is like a New York economy where it's like it's all it's all just made up computer transactions that say that. Mm you know, the value of the buildings being sold is double compared to the previous year. It has nothing to do with building things in the material world that make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. And th- there's a part of this article where Hickel talks about one of the the important aspects of degrowth being to remove socially unnecessary industries. You mean like writing books about degrowth? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, let me see what he calls socially unnecessary. Oof. Fucking burn. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you, Michael Kelso? Yeah, I might as well be. Like that was that was savage. Yeah. Burn. It's just the facts, you know. It it's just the facts. <laughs> By the way, less is more. Available on Amazon in paperback form. Marketing the production of commodities Amazon. like McMansions, SUVs, beef, single-use plastics, etc. They throw beef in there. It's like, yeah. They well, they say beef taxing in, beef. They throw SUVs in there. This guy doesn't have children. No, no. And we know why. It's because children are evil. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're um, they're fighting this this uh, this specter of like the Hummer, you know, from like twenty years ago when the Hummer yeah. was like a huge deal, and uh, there was kind of this like a, a brief like period where like bigger, 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 bigger cars, but well, all cars are evil. Because they cause traffic violence. Traffic violence. They yes. murder. They murder the poor, innocent pedestrians and cyclists. My. If you drive one, you're evil. You're basically evil. Yeah. And for, everyone hates cars. Cars are for Nazis and capitalists. <laughs> cars are for Nazis and capitalists. And if we get rid of the cars, then it's not capitalism anymore. That's if right. everybody's riding a bike, that's socialism. That's well, right. <laughs> well, the thing is, they get so fixated on like the emissions of um, billionaires and stuff. But like, we should be asking ourselves, how can we increase the emissions of the average person? Because in today's world, that means that you have a higher standard of living. It means you own a, right. a car yeah. or you have access to like transportation. Uh, you have refrigeration. You have heating in your house, and you you can like live in like decent conditions. And the average person. Um, especially like, you know, let's say the bottom 20%, they, they need a massive increase in the amount of emissions they cause. And if we have nuclear or something like that, then that those, then it's just not emissions at all. Then it's not emissions. <laughs> it's just like they're, but we're increasing the amount of energy that they live with. And whereas D yeah. is saying to those people like, well, you need to have a community garden so that those <laughs> people can go like after, after working their shift at like the regular job, they can go like, you know, get their dinner from the, the garden and then they yeah. need to spend like 40 minutes cooking on a terrible electrical appliance. That's the crux of it is like, we want to optimize the human experience. We don't want to make it, we don't want to downgrade it. Right. And that's what degrowth is. That's what all this is. is Wasn't it what Peter Buffett said? Like wanting everybody to live on $2 is yeah. that being like a goal. Yes. And, and he, he also tweeted, tweeted that article that called for having the world's population. Yeah, I'm disappointed, not surprised. And the and it said that we're too good at death control. That we're you too know, good at controlling like how many people live and die. And we're too concerned with birth control. We're not concerned enough with death control. That I think was the exact line. We're too human. We're not. We're we need to be more like animals and just kind of die off sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and just be subject to nature. You know, and they be need one with one one with Mother Earth and Gaia. They need a flash. <laughs> They got to get like a flashy showman to start selling the stuff. Like remember how Herman Cain had like the nine, nine, nine thing. You know, yeah. they need, they need like someone to say, we need 0. 0.5, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.5, everything in half energy, number of people, number of cars, like everything. They, already, know the they already do that though. They already do yeah, all kinds of numbers and stuff. Like people say they're like PPI number or something. How much carbon was on the planet when they were born or something. Yeah, but mm -hmm. It's not flashy enough. It needs to be, a. we need like a catchy degrowth uh, propagandist. We're not trying to help them, Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alex. That's my advice to them is that they're not doing a good job. No, I agree. And, and the thing is, is every time they start building up steam, they, they shoot themselves in their foot because they say something stupid and the reveal the influencers project. will hop on it soon, I think, if they haven't already. Well, the Rosa Luxemburg thing, they just put out a video. Degrowth, a care-based economy, meaning we produce in accordance with ecological limits and divide it up to fulfill everyone's needs. To think of work that does not inherently require consumption or mass production and instead sustains life. Teaching children how to read, restoring acres of soil, helping people heal from trauma. These are all degrowth. A society that defines productivity and labor not by profit, but by time, dedicated to oneself. It's more than possible. 
it's necessary. Degrowth is a movement to unlearn the dominant ideology of infinite growth that has been ingrained in every aspect of our individual and collective lives. What the fuck are we talking about? They all these orgs. <laughs> We're getting to inside baseball right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's baseball. Let's pull it back to like what you know what we opened this talking about, which was the Ted Kaczynski movie, because that's like the right the right wing rebranding of this stuff. And then you have mm-hmm. this like nerdy, wonky, extra Klein, like degrowth stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but but then we uh, those are like the two uh, the two wings of it. But really, the what's two genders? Yeah, those are the two. <laughs> And then the like um, the they them you know version of it is like the the top down uh, the, t- the top down um, you know hegemony, uh, which is imposing a version of degrowth on all of us by like lowering our living right. standards and saying that like there's too many of us. Exactly. <laughs> I I think Peter's one of the reasons that, Peter that is laughing me. so hard. Is because we did our before this week, last week we did our global respect act thing. Yeah. And that brought up the the moment where Joe Biden was asked how many genders there were. Yeah. And he just goes, three. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. How many genders are there? Three. I, <laughs> and then he just bolts. I think he actually he actually said at least three. Yeah, but apparently, it's but it's so funny it's to just think way. of him saying three. It's three. Bye. <laughs> and we're I think let's maybe start talking about the car thing, just because that. Well, you mean that they're moving from the, this degrowth rhetoric to these various different types of rhetoric that sort of such as up. like Alex articulated the sort of left version and the post left slash right version there's a few different tracks of rhetoric like there's the the right to repair for one yeah there's um cars kill <laughs> car violence so my question here could you guys identify the like Probably ones that you consider the most prominent right now, and then how they link back to degrowth. Yeah, well, those are like huge, right? Is the yeah. is uh, the car culture one, which usually pairs with the Yimby. I was gonna ask about that. Can can you talk a little on that? Because I have this friend. He said something about Yimby the other day. Well, Yimbys are really fucking annoying. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> to start, and- <laughs> they're probably worse than the Nimbys. Because it's NIMBY stands for not in my backyard. And right. then YIMBY is yes in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And YIMBY was sort of a reaction to the NIMBY movement. And NIMBY is usually more conservative people who say, oh, we don't want public housing and built in my backyard because we don't want these like poor hoodlums, you know, crack, riffraff. crack addicts. Yeah, the riffraff. Yeah, in our backyard. And so that it's that's like this anti-development stance. And then in reaction, you have these like it's a lot of like young urbanist types, mm-hmm. kids who graduated, you know, college in the last 15 years or so. Yeah, it's definitely my friend. And really into development. And that's the solution to everything. And obviously, like people like us know that that's you can't boil it down to it's you either have to just build all building is good and or no building is good it it really depends on the circumstance mm-hmm. um, who owns it, it depends on the yeah. ownership of yeah of who who is owning these buildings who is benefiting from it um is yimby an anti degrowth position though because my friend seems like a degrother also there's probably a mix of people who would say yes i'm a degrother <clears throat> and no I'm, I'm not a degrother i think like the James Medlock type are pro- probably consider themselves anti-degrowth because mm. they think they want to build more and more. And he tried to frame me as a degrowth person because I yeah I remember that I was pointing out how people were opposed to solar panels, you know, being built in the Mojave Desert. Or these bike lane people will will say like, no, bike lanes are growth. You know, we we want more good things for the people who live here, and that's that's gro- that's a pro-growth stance. They say. My argument is always that bike lanes, they're nice to have. It's very hard to argue against them because they're great. (laughs) If you have a bike and you want to, you know, say, fuck, I want to go on my bike today and ride my bike. I want to go bother all the people driving their cars. My my hashtag problematic trait 
I cannot fucking stand people cycling in the road. To be to be fair, like biking is fun. I it is. Biking. Maybe they shouldn't put the bikes in the road. That's all I'm kind of saying. Right. <laughs> it's a nice way to get around if you have the time and the energy. <laughs> if you don't have a job. Yeah, if you don't have a job. A lot of people <laughs> like need a car, like elderly yeah. people, disabled people, children. Uh, groceries. No, you just need that $6,500 motorized uh, bike with the storage unit on it. <laughs> what the right. fuck is that thing? You just need a, you mean just a car, basically. Right? Yeah, it's a miniature car that you have to power yourself. Like yeah. a Flintstones uh, bike, you know? Yeah, a yeah. Flintstones, it's a Flintstones car that looks more like a bike than a car. That costs $6,000. Yeah, it costs $6,000. It's, oh, it's I mean, not that's really... like part of the these policies now that they're coming up with like here in Kingston for their climate targets or whatever and mm -hmm. a large chunk of their policy is trying to encourage more people to walk or bike and I think the critical thing to remember is that with all this stuff it's all in the absence and closing the door on an industry in cities which cities you know if we talk about like oh the streets were weren't built for cars initially like the streets were built to support people living near industry and that's like why mm. cities existed was to have like industry yes. and economies of scale uh where people could make a living uh in a place and like be available to work and then right, for exactly. infrastructure to be around it to export the goods that were being produced and i think the, the marxist position is <laughs> one of pro-production production is yeah the absolutely of society and I think this is a rallying call from all these degrowthers is to say, let's have less production. Let's not work so much. Right. Or when we do work, let's work on our gardens and really <laughs> un undoing socialized production. Exactly. Individualizing production. Right. I mean, that's what localism mm -hmm. is, too, is going back to being and they call it self-sufficient because it's anarcho-primitivism. Exactly. Exactly. On this idea that society is going to collapse and yep. that that's inevitable and that we all need to be prepared to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Which is in complete antagonism with the optimism of Marxism. And, exactly. And real communists. The, the idea of Marxism is not this glorious explosion where everything burns down. Yeah. That's not what the revolution is. The revolution is changing the mode of production so that that socialized labor is paired with socialized appropriation of product and profit. Right. I learned this word from Fox, but the, the word is millenarian, where they, they believe that there's going to be some uh, event, you know, where afterwards everything is just transformed rather than, you know, the mm. scientific, like historical view of, you know, things changing. In, in opposition to, like you said, the, the scientific dialectical materialist view that mm. understands communism as a process well and, and like they basically articulate bernie's entire platform in one of these paragraphs and just say that it's degrowth and they're that's, like that's degrowth that's why it's degrowth I said, when when public health care they're gaslighting sock dems yeah <laughs> the other reason they're impossible to argue with because it's impossible to debunk it because it's anything that they want it to be yeah. Any like menagerie of like Alex says the poo poo platter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I've heard Alex use that phrase, and it always like it makes it land so hard. Every we've like, talked like five this, times. I can't imagine I used it that many. Times. Every time you use it, it sticks really hard. It's wow. one of your pull string quotes. Okay, Alex. yeah, <laughs> but but it's true. It is a poo. -poo Thank you for platter. calling me in. You, you, you go in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but. It, it it is a poo poo platter though, because you go in and you order like whatever it is you want on a plate, and that's degrowth. Anything you support, no, that's actually what degrowth is all along. Yeah, degrowth and is the some, friends we made along the way. And, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and somehow and somehow this reduces demand and consumption, which are the only important aspects. Of anything. Which is somehow connected to GDP in this tenuous way that we don't describe materially in this article. Yeah. And if you ask, we link you a paper that doesn't fucking explain it. Yeah. It's just the it's just the overpopulation argument. It is. 
Yeah. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, I'll sound millenarian, but they're priming people for an event in the future where push is going to come to shove and it's not going to be the degrowth that these people are talking about, but mm-hmm. it'll, but the ideological basis of it will be close enough where these people are going to get in line and they're going to be the vicious enforcers of it. Absolutely. And I, because I feel like this is what's happening with Ukraine is like, it was so visceral the way that these people uh, have been like Pavlovi, the, the American liberal who watches you know, CNN and MSNBC and NPR. Um, mm-hmm. They've been primed for years, like Moscow, Mitch, Trump, Putin, you know, Trump sucks Putin's mm-hmm. dick all the time. They snapped and they said, they said some like code word on TV and everyone now is like in lockstep about this thing. And I think that's yep. what's going to happen. Exactly. That's what they want to do with degrowth is that they well, want to yeah. condition us and normalize what they're going to do with that. And I think that's that's what pro-growth people are fighting against and like anti-Malthusians are fighting against. Yeah. And I think you, you I think you you pretty much nail it there with this. Uh, this is something I've tried to articulate a lot of times. The way that these people push degrowth, they push it in this way that it can be anything. And then the people who get rallied behind are like, well, I'm not for the capitalist degrowth. I'm for the socialist degrowth, the one with public health care and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, here's the thing. Nowhere in the program are, are the actual economic relations addressed. And therefore, the ruling class remains. So whatever they say degrowth is, is what degrowth is. And they might not be saying exactly what it is right now. But when they decide to activate degrowth, that's when they're going to be like, this is degrowth. This is what we're doing. Enjoy the austerity for the next 10 years. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. And there's so many ways you can get, you can get to that. And like for Fox and me, like living where a billionaire son is doing his own like micro local version of degrowth. Like we, we can see it so clearly that it doesn't address the economic relations. It's reliant on people from above. Um, imposing the conditions on the people below and it has no uh, safeguards for uh, the people that live in that place where the degrowth is happening. So uh, if, if you live, if you happen to live in a nice like area of degrowth, um, well-resourced people can move in and there's no protection for like the people that live there. So, mm-hmm. you know, from an external viewpoint that this is not a program that is aspirational uh, for mm-hmm. anybody and therefore it cannot win. It cannot win. <laughs> it, it cannot build. You cannot build a degrowth movement that will actually win. It's mm-hmm. only something that can be like incepted into lots of people. And people might do like, oh, I'm going to live off the grid and do this and that. Or other people are like, oh, that'd be so awesome if that was like, like that. But it's never going to actually win from like a majority of people demanding it. It's only going to be imposed. Well, yeah. And, and what you articulated right there, I think, is an interesting part of it. It's sort of a a negative program, no matter what it is. Like it even is in the name, it's degrowth, it's negative growth, but in it it being a negative program, it should have been obvious from the very beginning that the post left was going to get into it because they're literally a negative movement. They're the Uh anti-left. And that swings back to Ted Kaczynski, the original anti-leftist. An interesting set of points really there though, is who owns the class character, how it's imposed. Um, I kind of feel like what's going on in Kingston is almost a test uh, for how to impose this worldwide in some ways. Like it's like a mini imperialism. Let's remind the, what what imperialism is. We got five key characteristics. We have monopoly capitalism trending towards decay. We have the merging of industrial capital and bank capital, mm-hmm. creating finance capital, the consolidation of this wealth into big banks, cartels, what have you, and the resulting partitioning economically and politically of the world. How does degrowth rely on this process of imperialism? You know, one thing that we haven't touched on is that uh, the logic of degrowth relies on balancing out the growth that has to happen in what they say, what they call the global South, you know, Africa, South America, India, Asia, these places where like billions of people don't have basic infrastructure needed for life. People who need more emissions. Right. People who desperately need to increase their carbon, carbon footprint to live. Mm-hmm. And what, what, the, what they miss in the math of degrowth is that 
in order for those people to get raised up to a basic standard of living, they're going to create far more emissions than we can degrow in the global north. So it's almost like, what is even the point of degrow? Like, let's say we have a miraculous 10% decrease in emissions in the United States because we get everyone to like, to get into the program. That will be like a race tenfold if the people of Africa attain a basic standard of living. So either we have to like impose imperialism on Africa, which we're already doing through the World Bank and through like debt slavery, and or we have to defeat, you know, China and prevent them from you know, doing the Belt and Road Initiative, mm-hmm. and or we have to cripple Russia and prevent them from selling like cheap gas to the rest of the world. I mean, it's all these things that tie in together. Well, yeah, like um, whatever increase in emissions that would be required in the global south, they require in their LED model. Hickel's paper refers to the low energy demand LED model, to be clear, a decrease of 23% in emissions in the global south. Which they require an increase yeah. per capita. That's like literally sentencing people to death. Well, yeah. The amounts of degrowth that they actually need to accomplish any of these things is certain death for, for large numbers of people. Like you, you can't do it. And not just in the global South in our country. Like if you talk about people who live in Appalachia or uh, down in Alabama, they're, who have they're these, beneficiaries of um, imperialism. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. The beneficiaries of imperialism who have white privilege and, and you know, uh, live in fucking castles compared. Oh, wait, no, that's a decaying trailer, not a castle. <laughs> but like people live in these horrible conditions in our own country uh, to the point where like the UN regards some areas of this country as the same thing as a third world country. And the UN fucking sucks. Yeah. And the UN is a shit show. So like they love to act like they can, but there just isn't a way to get around the fact that to, to do what they want to do, they'll say they want to reduce demand, but ultimately, it, the the real thing they want to reduce is consumption. And you can't do that without reducing the number of people. You can't. There's just not a way to do it. You can't make these people who live in, like I said, decaying trailers eat one third of what they're already eating. Like, you're going to kill them. And, and so with that in mind, I, I guess where we can kind of summarize for our viewer is what what is the alternative solution to climate crisis nuclear i mean nuclear energy is like perfect it goes perfectly with marxism it's abundant it's cheap it creates a a possible a possible future that is like you know amazing that we can all grow we can all grow like that's we want growth we uh, want to grow the human race we want to grow how much we consume we want to grow everything and uh the only way to do that is with energy and the most abundant source of energy that we have is nuclear and it happens to be much better for the environment (laughs) so it's like it's like a win 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 for working people now and obviously in third world countries like they can't just jump straight to nuclear so they get to build they get to use coal they get to still use gas they still get to use fossil fuels. Let them use that. Right. In the same way that all renewable energy would still be reliant on those things anyway. Yeah. And we had this conversation with Daniel, which I think was very clarifying. They, the uh, LaRouche Schiller Institute people use a term called energy flux. Is that what it was, Alex? Energy, energy flux density. And Energy flux density, where they say as humanity progresses, that our energy gets our energy flux gets like denser or something. Mm. So the, the thing about, um, about renewable energy is that it, it's a technology that cannot replace what we have right yeah. now. It is not dense enough to replace fossil fuels. The only thing that can replace fossil fuels is nuclear. So mm. it's, I, you just, you can't replace one thing with something that is less dense. That is literally degrowth. They'll say, no, we want to grow the renewable industry, but you can't, it's like replacing, what's a good metaphor? Like It's, it's like replacing a car with bike. a bicycle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's not more efficient. It's less efficient. 
Right. Yeah, it requ- and it requires a lot more human uh, sacrifice and human attention to create the same amount of energy yeah. that uh, a nuclear plant would make. You can't replace uh, industrial agriculture with community gardens. Exactly. You can't feed populations with community gardens. Right. Or even organic, I mean, even organic farming, from what I have gathered, you can't even do that. You need industrial agriculture. You can't replace it with something that is less dense, less optimized, uh, <laughs> unless you want to kill people. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think that that's really the key. Alex, you said the two words, human sacrifice. That's that's where it is right there. The evil Watiko people need to... <laughs> Need to be ended. We have to. We have to put an end to that stuff. It's a. It's a virus or whatever. Yeah. You know, so much of it. I'm reminded of the ghost of Kiev now. <laughs> It'd be so badass if she was female. Yeah. <laughs> as the ultimate fuck you to. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, seeing like uh, this liberal propensity for just wanting to enjoy things. Let me enjoy things. Uh, I. It's still real just to give me. Give me this. Even after it's been proved disproven. I, I remember, it, it's so funny, sorry to interrupt you, Alex, but I, I remember a few years ago, my friend that I that I was talking about, and I've talked about this in another episode, who is has this degrowth, consumptionist activism ideology. I'm vegetarian for this reason. I bike and walk everywhere. Right. We've got to do this. That the globe is in crisis. I need to consume right. I need to shop at Whole Foods. This kind of thing. And I remember uh, being drunk at a bar with him and being like, "None of what you're doing matters. It, it doesn't contribute to what you are advocating for at all." And I remember him just saying, "Miss ACD, uh, just let me have this." Yeah. And, and that's like, where it ended. And I said, okay. It's well, like yeah. a personal religion for people. And they've, yeah. they're like it paying is. penance to, you know, and I get mm-hmm. it. I was a vegetarian for 10 years. I like backyard chickens. I like all that shit. It's fun. It feels good. But it is, it really is just <clears> like, it's for you. And it's okay that it's for you. It's not terrible that it's for you. You just have to accept that it is for you. It is not you making a change in the world. Like, I don't I don't want people not to be vegan. If they want to be vegan, like, it's their body. Like, they can do that. That's fine. I want that. I want them to be able to choose that. Their body, their choice. Yeah, exactly. Their body, their choice. That's 100% what I'm talking about. Like, I think bodily autonomy, I take bodily autonomy seriously as a Marxist. And... That is for you. That's the crux of the bicycle argument, too, is that, like, you should be able to choose to ride your bike if you want in a perfect world. Well, exactly. (laughs) But you just can't you can't pretend that it is changing things like I had that argument with those guys about the serial strike. Oh, my God. And, And they're just like relentless in this idea that, like, their 12 million union members are all going to not eat cereal. And that's going to be a big thing. It's like, no, you're never going to get 12 million and even Parents. if you did, there's there's hundreds of millions yeah. of cereal purchases. 298 million people eat cereal a day. 298 million people in the United States eat it daily. You know what this all helps to do is helps people forget that production is socialized. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's what people need to remember, that we are already a socialized society. In terms of production. Yes. And that fucking rules and we're good at it and it's awesome and we should continue to do it and we just need to catch up with the ownership part being socialized as well (laughs) yeah and the thing is and i'm not i'm not going to say that it's just naturally going to happen but i think that if we were to spend more time actually caring about how people were living and uh, and the the appropriation of the product and profit, those two things, like the ownership and then the quality of life. I think that that would lead us towards um, uh, industries that weren't polluting and weren't putting tons of carbon into the air. And were because nobody likes that stuff. Nobody is like, I fucking love pollution, man. I'm sure there's somebody out there. I'm not going to say there's nobody out there, but like they don't matter. There's not a sizable number of people that says, I fucking love pollution. So if you go just by simple, like if 
the proletariat becomes the owning class and we're proletarian state that is functioning as a real democracy because you can't have a real democracy in a bourgeois state. You have a bourgeois democracy. If you're operating from that position, then you have a bunch of people who essentially have more or less equal amounts of power and agency within uh, quote unquote industry or whatever we call whatever replaces that, um, who all have the same interest, which is not having an environment that sucks ass. <laughs> right. I feel like that's just, it's such a simple way of looking at it. Like you're addressing uh, this through trying to restrict people from like doing basic things. It's not like you're trying to restrict them from excesses. You're trying to restrict them. A lot of these people are barely getting by and barely have anything as it is. Most people, more people are having trouble eating than not. And the idea that this country needs to cut back because we're just consuming too much, to me, it just, it represents how far they're willing to go to preserve the ownership dynamic and class because they do not want to look at it like Jeff Bezos owns more, causes more pollution, centralizes all of this industry around one person and retains all that profit. So is incentivized to continue that situation. They don't think about that. They're just like, well, that guy still needs to do that. But instead, we need to redistribute that. And it's, again, this nebulous uh prospect of restructuring the entire economy through policy change. Yeah, it's it, that is the most absurd thing because again, policy change is outright it, it shouts there's going to be a ruling class. We're going to impose policy on you. It's our choice. It's not your choice. It's a policy. You have to follow the policy because we put forward the policy. You know, you know what degrowth reminds me of is that um that classic thing that like your mom would say to you to make you eat all your food like yeah. starving mm -hmm. children in Africa fuck yeah and it's like if i don't eat this food it's not like it gets sent to africa no exactly if i degrow my consumption it's not like it's sent to africa like well yeah and and the imperialism and ownership dynamic of capitalism it ensures that everything going on in Africa right now, which is the expropriation of their resources, the undervalue of their labor, uh, in a lot of cases, slavery, human trafficking, lots of terrible shit. That stuff is going to continue. And, and it's, it's, it's not going to get better there because the, the trend that all industry will take is that of, um, quote unquote, degrowing. Like, okay, so you still have the same people at the top who are incentivized to do everything they can to stay at the top. So they're still incentivized to continue to exploit third world country labor and resources. So you perpetuate all of the problems. So in that way, it also, um, because it doesn't address uh, the fundamental contradiction of capitalism or any of the economic relationships, because it, it works so hard to maintain that, Again, it relies on imperialism because in order to enforce this, we need a ruling class. And in, in order to have a ruling class, we have to have imperialism. You know, something sick too is that a lot of this degrowth stuff relies on looking at impoverished people in Africa and South America and saying that they're living a purer version of life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because they're in poverty. Poverty is beautiful, right? Yeah. And, and but then if you look at, you know, people that are winning elections in places like Africa and South America, they are talking about growth and they're talking about, mm -hmm. like, for example, the president of Nigeria said um, that, you know, renewable energy is not sufficient to raise their standard of living or the president of Uganda <laughs> won. The president of Uganda said that renewable energy is robbing them of their land. Uh, and these, but these people believe that degrowth is, uh, you know, that we should aspire to live like people in these third world countries, whereas those people are saying we need reliable energy and emissions to raise their standard of living so that we can live, right. that we can survive climate change. Um, and it's, it's, it's really sickening how like the, these people get written off as like noble savages. Well, no, yes. they just, we, we gave them our Watiko virus and now they want to grow <laughs> like us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Peter Buffett saying, no, don't don't get reliable energy. You're living so beautifully. In yeah. Screen, ha -ha. yeah, he literally, <laughs> he literally says that. 
he literally <laughs> says like that we like gave them our sickness of like wanting to grow and like consume oh, eco mind that is so fake and gay yeah no <laughs> it is and in meantime like i i hesitate to attribute a lot to human nature i don't really like doing that oh, god don't yeah. but i think that people you know like the idea of living well yeah i don't think, <laughs> I think that's that, human nature i, I think, think that's, that's human nature <laughs> that's just like the being an organism yeah exactly it's not even human nature it's just like the nature of life yeah Yeah, i think i think it's just a way for like rich people to cope with feeling bad that they're living well and other people yeah it's just Mm -hmm. self-flagellation yeah i agree piety it's religion like like you said it is yeah yeah i think we've we've hit everything what do you guys do you guys have anything that you uh particularly want to hit Yes, rent the Ted K movie on Amazon today. (laughs) What is the Twitter account of the Ted K movie? (laughs) Can we share that? So I don't think they do. They even have one. Oh, maybe they degrew so far that they don't have a reason to have Twitter. Wow, I mean they're taking it seriously. That is pretty funny. That is, it's getting released on like uh, iTunes. Yeah, I don't think this film's going to be like a big release. I think you're. I think you're. It's it's been reviewed in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Guardian. Yeah, like because be all the because bo- all the bougie people like it. That's what they do. They write about each other to like pu- right. blow hot air up. Which is ass. why I think it's going to be like a, a a movie that you know signif- It's going to be like culturally significant. I, it might not be a movie that everybody watches, but unfortunately, it sounds like a movie that everybody's going to have to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Either. I'm on record saying I don't think I don't think it's good. We'll take bets right now. I don't know. I like I, I'm I'm gonna admit like a wrong prediction. I felt like the exact same thing about Squid Game. And we finally just watched that like a month ago. We didn't watch. Is it, it good? I, it's pretty, I it's entertaining. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I thought it was pretty good. I don't know. I was just like. I was very turned off by it because everybody immediately started talking about it after. I was yeah. Like, I don't. I don't know. And I was kind of, I was kind of pissed off. I was wrong about it. <laughs> I'm the same way, though. I don't like care about. I when I get like turned off when stuff people are just like, oh. <laughs> no, I very. It's not just that I was wrong about it. I was making a joke there. Uh, like I really hate it when people all start talking about something at once. It, it pretty much says to me that there is uh, a media narrative that is pushing that thing, right. and therefore I don't trust that thing. Yeah. Like don't look up or whatever. Yeah, I don't trust. Don't look up at all. It's the degrowthers love it. It's like a degrowth yeah. movie. So I, I just want to fill Fox in on my discovery. This article by Jason Hickel is published in the Real World Economics Review, which is a peer-reviewed, open-access academic journal of heterodox economics, published by the Post Autistic. Economics Network. The post-autistic economics movement is a political movement which criticizes neoclassical economics. The term has an older meaning and signifies abnormal subjectivity, acceptance of fantasy rather than reality. However, post-autistic economists also assert that neoclassical economics has the characteristics of an autistic child. (laughs) The pejorative reference to the neurodevelopmental disorder, autism, is considered offensive by some economists. (laughs) Greg Mankiw has said that the use of the term indicates a lack of empathy and understanding for those who live with actual severe autism. So very degrowth. Very. uh... Yeah. I want to just quickly say like how like perfect that fits into kind of uh, a eugenic worldview. <laughs> yeah. They are one step away yeah. from no, calling they're themselves. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't use the word. Oh, man. That is so strange. I've never heard of that before. And, and that's the thing. I, I think that the whole Ukraine issue, uh, a lot of this imperialism stuff, degrowth, these issues really expose how credulous people are towards mainstream media. They are willing to give so much trust over to these huge entities that have been proven time and time again 
to be lying. Well, it's so funny when when Caleb makes a statement about Russia, people go, he's literally a news person for RT. And it's like, where the fuck do you think you're getting all of your information well, that, from yeah. these large US American media mm-hmm. corporations? Like, how could you criticize Caleb for that and then say that CNN is right? I mean, yeah, the, the implication is that there is a source that you can trust. And it's like, you shouldn't just blindly trust any news source. No, exactly. 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 Everybody follow Fox and Alex on Twitter. We'll have their individual Twitters in the show notes, as well as at Space Commune for their podcast. Listen to it. It's very good. Uh, it, like, go back through the episodes as well, because like the episodes that you guys have done. And, and for a little summary of all that, they can check out Marxism and Energy. Mm-hmm. Um, that does a great. Shit. That is a good fucking film. Um, thank you, thank you guys again. And that's it for Pact. Thanks again for watching or listening. I'm Peter. This is Miss Astronaut Cowboy Doctor. To help us out, click like, follow, subscribe, join our Discord, leave us five star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. To support us, become a patron at patreoncom pod That's P A C D P O D. Thanks so much. Come back next week.